Hey, welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. Hey, and I'm Brian. And this is the Bible, Bible Bistro. Bistro. Oh my gosh. Synchronized Bible Very Bistros. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's good to be back here yeah. again. We just enjoyed a lovely meal. Yes. At, at the Lord's Chicken Shop. At Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Had, had some nice Chick-fil-A. But we should say, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, but chicken filet, whatever. But it is, uh, it is, we ate light for lunch because we are anticipating smoked pork for, for supper. Yes, I have been smoking pork all day. Sarver's famous smoked pork. That's right. I don't, I don't know if it's world fam- famous. World famous. Yes. Yeah. Everyone comes for it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're eating that tonight because we're doing a little, we're, you're joining my small yeah, group Yeah, this should tonight. be an interesting experience. I'll be with the Sarver's small group tonight. And I was this, you were the Jedi master in the text <laughs> message and I was the Padawan. 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 Yeah. Padawan. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. And then someone says, what does that even mean? Is that how they sound? <laughs> what does that even mean? Anyway, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. it. Should be, And you guys are talking about Revelation. We are talking about Revelation. Now, we're talking about Revelation today, but not the same part. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So, we're, we're glad to be back yeah. in the bistro. So, we just had Isaiah last week. We had Isaiah. Yeah, we had Isaiah. Isaiah 7. And we mm-hmm. shaved. Shaving. <laughs> shaving Isaiah. Maybe I should title. Shaving Isaiah. What if okay. I made that the title of that episode? Shaving know. Isaiah. I'm anyway. not very good at naming things, as you know. <laughs> That is true. I wanted to name my oldest son Mayor Shella Hashbaz, so that tells you something. You're a different cat, Brian, <clears throat> but we love you. We <clears throat> love you. Okay, thanks. The <laughs> And we should say, before we get started, if you're enjoying our yes, podcast. Bef- yes, we-, we have. If you're enjoying the podcast and you've it's been helpful for you right. and fruitful for you and you've been listening to us for a while, we would invite you to participate with us in the yeah. Bistro. We've set up a Patreon, sure. which if you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a way that you can uh, just give you throw a couple bucks our way uh, every month so we can continue the work of the podcast yeah. because we do have hosting and yeah. there's some expenses. Yeah, we're at Bistro East here in Indianapolis right. and sometimes we're Bistro West in uh, Bloomington, Illinois. Um, but uh, yeah, so and if you do subscribe, you can um, get some Bistro yeah, swag. Yeah, some swag. It, you know, coffee cup, t-shirt. All, all the things, everything that will make your life complete, right, can be found on the Bible Bistro, and you can show your support to the Bible Bistro. So the other thing is, I'll say it helps us a lot when you share yeah. uh, with other people. If you have an episode you particularly like or something that you find meaningful, share it out there. Uh, also, um, you know, go and and like us, uh, follow us on whatever podcast, Face, yeah, you use. Apple Podcast, Google yeah. Podcast, Spotify. You can find us on YouTube if you'd yeah. like to see us. Um, mm, yeah. <laughs> Hey, and I want to say before we get started today, okay, so that's that all's our commercial, we're done. We're commercial done. part, we're done. but, but uh, just uh, spend some time down. Uh, some of you may have heard about the Eastern Kentucky flooding, mm-hmm. and my yes. wife's been down there. It's, her home county was one of the ones very badly affected, and so I went down and, and just for a couple of days, because I have you know some working things I have to do, and I have to do some things this weekend, but uh, just really devastating uh, flood down there. Just the extent of the flooding down there was just uh, remarkable. Shout out to my wife for doing some really good work there. Yeah. And my son who went down and, and did some used his carpentry skills and his plumbing and electrical skills down there to help some of the people. And so just uh, mm-hmm. want to encourage you, even though the news cycles moved on, I want to encourage you to remember the people in Eastern Kentucky and just the things that need to be done down there. So. Yeah. Josanne rolled up her sleeves and she did. got to work. Yeah, yeah so, very good. Incredible stuff going on down there. Yep. 
All right. So today we're we're back in Revelation. We've yeah. had several episodes in Revelation, and we've kind of I don't know if we've gone kind of sequentially through Revelation no. or not. Well, I don't think we have. <laughs> I think we've done whatever we want. Kind of random. Yeah, but that's what people like. Yeah. So, anyways. <laughs> Here we are. We're kind of we're moving towards um, one of the things that we've talked about several times is numbers are kind yeah. of an important piece of revelation, sure. um, and it's also one of those things that can be kind of confusing for some right. people because we're very literal as we're reading today, right. and so um, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more about numbers today. Well, this is very specifically aimed at a question that uh, I heard recently was given to me, and so I thought it'd be worth answering. It's one of those things, and you hear some different answers to this. It's about the 144,000. Mm-hmm. A couple of different places in the book of Revelation, you have this group of 144,000 that are mentioned. Uh, we'll look at chapter 7, first of all. That's the first place we really find this group mentioned. And then later in chapter 14, there's some really interesting kind of language. Again, apocalyptic language. Uh, you mentioned apocalyptic language. Numbers are often um, Symbolic. They they have mm-hmm. um, a symbolic meaning. They're to be interpreted symbolically. Uh, we've seen a couple of examples of that er- earlier. And so 144,000, that's the way I understand it. Although I will say there are groups that understand this as a very literal um, reference to, to a literal 144,000. I'll try to give you a couple of examples of how other people interpret this as well. So And why they're wrong. Say that, but but look at although they are no, but look at look at Revelation seven. This is where we'll start with. You want to go ahead and read this for us. Go ahead and read down through verse eight or so. This is the first mention of this hundred forty four thousand that we find. Yeah. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the vast from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. You keep going here? Sure. Right? Yeah. I mean, you can, you can go ahead and just kind of summarize. Basically, it says each of the tribes, Judah, there's 12,000, Reuben, 12,000, Gad, Gad. 12,000, Asher, 12,000, Naphtali, 12,000, Manasseh, 12,000, Simeon, 12,000, Levi, 12,000, which I'll go ahead and say now isn't always. We don't always see Levi mm-hmm. in in these lists. Um, and, and then it goes on and it says um, – It's a card. Um, yeah, Issachar, uh, 12,000, Zebulun, 12,000, and then Joseph, 12,000, which often you see that Ephraim and Manasseh in the Old Testament. So we have mm-hmm. Levi here, we have Joseph, which is unusual, mm-hmm. and we're missing a tribe, missing the tribe of Dan, which mm-hmm. is which is uh, yes. interesting too. But uh, we're not going to get too much into that, but it's something to, to think about. But uh, And then from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. So now even that even number there, that 12,000 for each of the tribes gives us some kind of an idea, But but the tribes themselves being listed helps us understand, I think, how this could be understood metaphorically. Mm-hmm. And that is in the Old Testament, the people of God were divided into 12 tribes, more or less coming from the 12 sons of uh, Jacob, although it's, uh, who later changed his name's changed to Israel after he mm-hmm. wrestles with God. Um, but but you can see that the listing of the 12 here, and we see this in different places, it's in, in different places in the Old Testament. In fact, if you really want to, I'm not going to talk too much about this. If you really want to understand it, Greg Beal does a great job explaining the the different lists we see sometimes and, and probably why. But often Joseph's two sons, 
Manasseh and Ephraim are listed instead of Joseph. Joseph mm-hmm. is technically the son of Judah, but then Manasseh and Ephraim become kind of the stand-ins for the house of Joseph. Ephraim, of course, later on, and we even talked about this. If you listen to last week's episode, we were talking about the northern kingdom, yep. uh, which becomes known later after the division of the kingdom uh, mm-hmm. during the time of Rehoboam. Uh, uh, and Rehoboam and Jeroboam divide the kingdom. And so Jeroboam becomes king of the northern kingdom, which becomes known as Israel from that time, mm-hmm. which gets a little confusing. <laughs> yes, it does. Judah is known, as, the southern kingdom is known as Judah. Mm-hmm. And, and the northern kingdom also sometimes is called Ephraim because it is the largest uh, of the tribes, tribes that are associated there. And so so is uh, Judah and Ephraim become one of the ways you can refer to these two these two nations. We see it particularly in the prophets sometimes this is used. And so probably because Ephraim becomes kind of associated with the enemies of quote unquote the people of God, the, the people of Judah, that's probably why we have them not named. Dan is also there and there's there's a lot there's some people who've made a big deal about this about Dan in the book of Revelation. And there's some other passages that may lead us there. We'll talk maybe talk about this another day, although I don't I don't give it too much credibility. But some see this as as kind of the tribe that is going to give birth to the enemies of the people of God. Uh, Dan is a tribe that is far separated from Judah as well. And so, so that's why some people think these are not listed. Anyway, I, I, I don't want to get too much in the weeds on that because I really think that these 12,000 in each tribe is, is giving us an in indication. These are not literal numbers, right? These are mm-hmm. metaphorical numbers. Right. Tribes in the Old Testament, the people of God in the Old Testament divided into 12 tribes. So the number 12 becomes symbolic for that. Earlier in the book of Revelation, we saw the 24 elders. Mm-hmm. And it talks about uh, the 12 you know, 12 tribes and then the 12 apostles. So one of the ways to understand these two 12s and 144, by the way, for those who are math majors, it's 12 times 12. 12. And so the 144,000 here could be this idea of God's people, uh, old covenant, new covenant, if you want to say it that way, or God's people, um, you know, before the time of Christ and then, and then the, the new people of God that, that Christ uh, establishes through these apostles together. And then a thousand is just a big number. So we're talking here about the entire people of God. And that's the way I understand this. Now, again, there are some groups who understand this literally, that there's literally this 144,000. They're going to have a special status uh, or have a special relationship in some ways. Um, groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses make a big deal about the mm-hmm. 144,000. Uh, there are other people who see this as kind of literally 144,000 from the descendants of, of Jacob. And then if you notice in verse 9, there's also this great multitude. After this, I looked. You're going to talk a little yeah. bit about that a little bit later, I think. But looked has to do with this idea of a vision. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And so some people understand this great multitude to be kind of the representative of the Gentiles who become people of God, and, and the 144,000 become a descendants of Israel who are the, the people of God. Again, my problem with that is that it's the even number in every, you know, mm-hmm. the, the 12,000. So I understand 144,000 to be a metaphorical way really to talk about the same thing that the great multitude says. Mm-hmm. This is all of God's people right. in, in, in a large number, 
and uh, and this is who's being referred to here. And this again, this is the first place we see this. We're going to see it again later in the book of Revelation. Yeah, that was one of the things as I was teaching was teaching yeah. leading my small group through it. Is one of the things that's kind of a theme through this. If we want to talk about this now, is sure. there's this idea is back yeah. here in verse four. It says, "Then I heard the number right. of those who were sealed, 144,000, and we get the twelve tribes." And then uh, verse nine. After this, I looked. So there's this sure. there's this idea of what he's heard. Uh-huh. And then what it looks like, right? You know, there's this combination of um, that the, what he sees helps interpret yeah. what he's heard exactly through right. all that stuff. Yeah. And so I think that's a really important theme because we see that we're going to talk about that a little bit later yeah. here in, in 14, 14 as well. Same thing, yeah. um, and even in verse five when it talks about I heard what the lion, I heard the lion of Judah, and yeah. I saw a lamb, yeah. uh, one that looked like a lamb who was slain. Yeah. So yeah, there's this real. Revelation has this real interesting yeah. thing about what John hears yeah. and then what he sees to help maybe interpret yeah. some of and that. And the way he describes these things are very interesting. You know, again, we talked about the imagery, but I, you know, I don't know what, what is the, what is the equivalent to imagery? <laughs> you know? yeah. Imagery is what you see. And then, but there's also, and we're going to see this in, when we get to chapter 14, which is kind of really our focus today, there is a, there's a description of the sound, both the, the volume of the sound and also the, the nature of the sound is described. We have, John using several metaphors in order to try to describe what this experience is like for him. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions you get when you're looking through Revelations, I've mentioned this when we've talked about it before, is how much of these are are you know visionary experiences, which they they seem to be. I mean, John will say, I I looked and I or I heard this or I saw this and I didn't understand it, but then, you know, the divine guide, this either angel sometimes or sometimes it's the lamb uh, explains to me or, or shows me the, the meaning of these things. Uh, and so is this a visionary experience or the, is this John's way of describing what he's understanding about these things that, that he's, he's hearing? Yeah. I've always thought like, as even as like the hearing this is like, yeah. you know, if, if the angel or, you know, had said like, you know, there's a lot of people here. You right. know what I mean? Like, there's right. not, there's, you're not painting a lot of imagery exactly. here, but by putting the twelve and the thousand, you're, yeah. you're getting the idea of like the full, full people of yes, God are here, exactly. and then when He sees it, yeah. it you know, so it's. It, you know, it's it, like you said, like, how do you paint a picture with words, right. you know, that auditory picture? And yep. I think that's, you know, instead of just saying, like, everybody's here, it's saying, like, no, no, this is the complete people right. of God. And again, this kind of illustrates what we've talked about, the the difference in our approach to the book of Revelation, because mm-hmm. we understand this to be apocalyptic literature. We understand that there's a, there's a highly symbolic use of things like colors and numbers and, and, and these kind mm-hmm. of identities and even place we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, we understand these to be kind of metaphors. We understand these to be images. People who are looking for specific meanings, like, for example, I mentioned Dan is not listed here, or Joseph is listed instead of Manasseh and Ephraim. Rather than seeing this as kind of a, uh, a figurative or symbolic way of understanding this, there are people who, who are looking for very specific details sometimes. And the 12,000s, you know, the listing of these 12,000, again, is is what some people will We'll look to as they as they try to understand and interpret this. But again, my understanding is a great multitude, the hundred forty four thousand, are essentially equivalent images, mm-hmm. just focused on different ideas. Yeah, and, and we've talked about Greg Beale. Yeah, you know he's mm-hmm. written quite sure. a quite yeah. the volume on this. Right, and, and a, couple, a, couple a couple of authors. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but you know that's that's what. It, 
a lot of the interpreters have said like this sure. is they see this as like this is the same group of people, yeah. but one is an auditory experience and one right. is a visual experience sure. Which of we, the group. Again, as you mentioned, we see over and over again. So yeah. let's look at uh, chapter 14 then. Let's look at this other uh, other experience that he has with this 144,000. Um, and uh, go ahead, and I'll let you read, uh, read down through about verse... Um, well, read down through verse five, and then yeah. we'll, we'll kind of we'll go back through a little bit more slowly because there's lots there's lots there's a in lot this. that's happened yeah. here. Yeah. So Revelation fourteen one through five. Yeah. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him one hundred forty four thousand who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters, and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So there's some images here. Some of them that are very common for us and things we've looked at before. Lamb, for example, mm-hmm. we've talked about and and is relatively easy to understand. We we use this metaphor of Jesus as the Lamb of God a lot, and so so we understand this pretty clearly. But then there's some other kind of weird, very weird images that we have to maybe think about a little bit. And uh, among those is this idea that these are those who don't defile themselves with women and and who who remain virgins. We have, this is probably the most difficult part of this to understand. Let me kind of paint a little bit of the literary context. We always talk about how important that is before we we get into this kind of going line by line. This and, and this is the danger of when we skip around in Revelation oh, yeah. because yeah. there's all these references back. Now we looked at chapter seven, so we can see that this isn't the first reference to these hundred forty four thousand. In fact, one connection you see here, I'll just mention up front, is is in chapter seven. It says that they they need to be sealed, marked out, right? And here we find that they're described as having the name of the Lamb and God on their foreheads, mm-hmm. right? So so it's kind of they need to be sealed. They need to receive the seal on their foreheads. And here we ha- find that they have been sealed. Right, mm-hmm. and, and so there's there's a little bit of progression here that we see with this, but this section of the book of Revelation, just just to understand what's going on here, is we kind of have a large section. I'm trying to think. This is kind of like in one of the, in, the, in those movies, especially at the beginning of a movie, you see where all the characters are being defined, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like everybody's kind of being brought out, and you're kind of seeing who they are, and a lot of times. Um, you know, things happen in, in a movie or in a, in a TV show when, when a character's introduced, you know, they always say, show it, don't don't tell it, right? It, so, mm-hmm. so it's not, it should be in dialogue, you know, well, hi, I'm the doctor, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, they come in with a stethoscope and, you know, white mm-hmm. white coat and whatever, and, and you get a sense of their appearance, kind of tells you something about who they are and this kind of thing. Well, you get this, in this whole section, really, you get a long section which talks about God's people and, and the enemies of God's people is the way that I would put this. So, for example, in chapter 12, beginning there, you get the woman uh, who, who has, again, 12 stars in her in her head, right, or a halo of 12 stars, um, talking about God's people. You know, so you get this woman, and then you have the dragon introduced. And, and so there's this tension, there's this conflict that's taking place between the woman representing the people of God and, and the dragon, who is the enemy of the people of God. And, and then beyond this, then, you have this idea of a battle. The dragon is defeated in this battle, but then the significant thing is the dragon b- continues to rage, 
mm-hmm. even though they've been beaten. And I'll go ahead and say just quickly, we'll talk about this another time, but uh, but that, that whole idea of the cosmic battle has to do with, and, and the woman who bears a child has to do, and this actually connects with what we talked about in, in Isaiah in last, last week's episode. This child that was born is none other than the promised Savior, the one that mm-hmm. God had promised would come and, and who would establish his kingdom, his rule on earth, his eternal kingdom. And, and so you find this battle taking place, but but the dragon has been defeated, right? The, mm-hmm. the child was taken to safety, taken up to heaven, and and the woman is protected. She's put into the wilderness and, and protected. And you find, even though the, the dragon is defeated, that he continues to rage. Right. And, and I'll go ahead and say that's a lot of what the book of Revelation is dealing with is it's really answering this question. If Christ has won the victory over, over the evil one. Right. Why do things continue to be the way they are, right? Why does the Roman Empire continue to flourish in the original mm-hmm. context? Why did, did difficult situations continue to arise for God's people? Mm-hmm. And the answer is in the fact that the dragon, though he is cast down to the earth, continues to rage. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and that's that's really amazing. thrashing about. It's central. It's a central point of of the Book of Revelation. After that, then we have these two beasts who are in cohort. Uh, you know, in, in, in their cahoots. cahoots would be a good way to say it with with the dragon. There's the, the the beast that comes up from the sea, the beast from the earth. I'm not going to explain this now, but but I would say the beast from the sea is kind of the in the first century the the Rome Rome and its its powers. The beast from the earth are those local authorities that work mm-hmm. in concert mm-hmm. with the beast and from force, the sea and force it. In our context, it would be all yeah force force those to follow the the beast of the mm-hmm. sea for, for and. and Again, I'd love to talk about this again sometime. We'll, we'll, I'll yeah. tell you why I think this. I'm just telling you what I think right now, not mm-hmm. why. But, but for us, I would understand that to be any system or any any government or any any power, any corporation, what, whatever that that works against the things of God. We're being introduced to these characters, mm-hmm. right? The woman being the people of God, being protected. Uh, we we get the um, we get the uh, the dragon. We get these two beasts that are you know the the battle, and then we come to this passage after the introduction of these two beasts. Then we come to this passage where we have the good guys, the lamb, mm-hmm. and and those who follow the lamb. Okay, mm-hmm. so these are again the people of God. This is the introduction again to these people. the The way they are described is the names of the lamb. And of God are on their foreheads, which, you know, there, there's a couple of different ways. This, this idea of naming things goes all the way back to the, to the letters of the seven churches. Uh, there it talks about a white stone that's given with their names written on it that yep. is known only to them. The idea of naming here has to do with identity and ownership, I would say. Mm-hmm. So these are the ones that belong to God. <laughs> I was thinking about this image, uh, you know, just a way to think about it today in in Toy Story. Uh, you've got Andy, yeah, Andy on the bottom of the of the cowboy's foot. What's his name? Woody. Woody. Um, you know, his name's Andy, and and that's uh, yes, I belong to him. He, I belong to him, and that's the way it is with these that have the name of God on their forehead. They are they are gods. They they belong to him. It also. And, and what's interesting, just this yeah, is a kind sure. of side note, 
for people that think like the mark of the beast is like a figure it's right, right. the mark of the beast is right before this and it says right. like they'll have the mark of the beast on them on their, forehead, says, yeah. on their forehead well now we have the mark of god as well so you know yeah. oftentimes as we as some people want to look at the book of revelation sure. as like what, what is the mark of the beast yeah. well let's ask the same question about right. what is the mark of god it, it's like and that's the other thing i was gonna say it identifies them as well mm-hmm. these are the ones and and the thing about a forehead if if you I'm not advocating this, but if you get if you get a forehead tattoo, it's a pretty obvious place to have it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, especially your forehead. I mean, let me, let me ask you this: do you think, I do. You could land a plane on it. Um, let me ask you, Mine do you too. Th- yeah, do you think this has anything to do with like you know? I, I remember flying on the plane and Jewish. They yeah. put the scrolls on their forehead. Yeah, you mean the in the the the, the Orthodox Jews. I, I, I just, Here's I, for how, me, like, I just, it was, I, I, I get saw what you're that. saying. I get your saying. Because they would put the scrolls on their foreheads when they're praying, like in a little box. Sure. And, and, and here's what I would say. I, this, this, I'm going to be very, I'm going to be very careful on how I say this. I don't, I don't personally think this is a reference to that, mm-hmm. but I think those are parallels. Okay. The same thing. And, and again, I don't, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this. In the law, I don't think that that is is literally bind these things on your forehead and on your arms. I don't think that the it's law is intending it to be a literal there. It's basically saying keep these in front of you all the time. Mm-hmm. Your hands, you know, the, for the, work. Yeah, where what you're doing, you know, this the words of the Lord should be, you know, with you all the time. It should be obvious, like something bound to your forehead. Mm-hmm. So I would see them as parallel. Okay, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, okay. I just it just popped in my head when we think about sure. that imagery yeah. of something on the it forehead. Is, it's obvious, right? You see these guys, and some of them have the big one. Even like Jesus talked about, you know, yeah. some of your phylacteries are wide, and you know, yeah, this, this kind but, of, you want everybody to see him, basically. Yeah. So if everybody doesn't know what we're talking about, the Orthodox Jews have like yeah. an actual box, like a band they would put around their forehead, and it has a piece of scripture a, in a piece it, of the Shema, in it. often yeah. and uh, yeah. the the. the um, uh, Deuteronomy six often or some something yeah. else. Um, it, it talks about binding those on or writing those on the doorpost of your homes uh-huh. and in Orthodox homes and also like if you go to an Orthodox hotel, uh, they they will have on, in every room at the doorpost there will be a scroll, scroll. with yeah. scripture written in it. And Orthodox Jews, you obviously touch it as they go in and out of the room. Just I mean, it's a good reminder, right? Yeah. It's a good way to remember uh, God's word always, and that and that you you have this relationship as one of God's people. Not a bad thing. It, it just you know it, like Jesus criticizes, I think, in the time of the Pharisees, it should not become a rote just kind of a habit kind of thing but it it, it 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 if it reminds us of our relationship as as God's people so what i'm talking about is two things here again so so we are owned by God but also we are identified as his so it should be obvious you know uh, on our foreheads again we don't mm-hmm. need a tattoo with the name of God and, and the lamb on our foreheads but it should be obvious always before people that that this is who we are identified as we are these people and, and especially in the context of the first century in Rome and we see other places in Revelation where it talks about this, where identifying as a follower of Christ could have consequences for you within community and within business and, and everything else, negative consequences. To identify yourself in this way is, is an important is an important thing. And I think it's the same for us as well, not to hide or to be ashamed of, you know, as Jesus says, anyone who's ashamed of me before men, then I will be ashamed of them. You know, this, this mm-hmm. is kind of an idea. So, so I think, um, you know, this, this is the idea of their, uh, of their, um, 
you know, identity uh, as well. Now, the next thing is, you, you, so it's what you talked about earlier. I saw verse uh, uh, one. Yeah. I saw, uh, I looked before me and there was a lamb and then I heard a sound. I heard. And, and then there's this description of the sound. And we've seen this before in Revelation, rushing waters. And, and I, I always say before, you know, combustion engines, before amplified sound, before, um, what else? Explosions before TNT. <laughs> yeah. Loudest kind of things we would have. Rushing wind, uh, you know, the sound of many waters, like like a waterfall or mm-hmm. a rushing river. If you think about the sounds of that, if you've been to a waterfall, the sound, you know, can be super loud, right? Yeah. And that's the description, the roar of rushing waters and a peal of thunder. Some of the loudest things that you can imagine. So he's describing here not only what he sees, but he's describing what he hears. So it has a power to it, I would say it has a, a loudness to it, but then he describes harpist harping. <laughs> right. It doesn't feel like a rock show to me. <laughs> when I think of loud, when I think of loud, I remember going to a right. concert once, and the electric guitar was so loud it was like a drill in your mm, skull. Yeah, I don't think it's like that, but <laughs> but the har- the harp the harp if you think about it, would have would have. I don't say it's a melody to it. It would have mm. so so. I it wasn't think, just noise. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not just it's not just the the loudness, but it's also the the beauty of it or the 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 mellifluousness of it. What are you? <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, so so the sounds like harpers playing harps, and then here's the really here's the real key. I think verse three, and I, and they sang a new song. Now that new song isn't that's not the first time we see this in in the book of revelation and it's not the first time we see it in the bible you're flipping flip back to chapter five in revelation mm-hmm. i think first of all and and read that for us kind of five nine, nine. in yep. that context and they sing a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. So if you go back uh, and think about what's going on here is John has seen the scroll that was written on both sides. So it's it's everything that God has revealed about himself and what we want to know. Mm-hmm. No one has found who, seven seals. No one has found who can open the seals. But then the lamb who was slain stands and takes the scroll and he is worthy and so they respond to him with a new song uh, I want to look one more passage because um, about a half dozen times or so we find this phrase new song in the book of Psalms I don't know if you knew that or not hmm. we see it once in Isaiah as well um, but the the back in I, uh, Psalm 98 is one example like I said about a half a dozen times we find this idea of a new song uh, and by the way I should have asked this then in chapter 5 it says he's singing a new song and and then what does it say? You have redeemed people oh, gosh. from every tribe. That's fine. Every tribe, tribe tongue, tongue, language, and nation. So, yeah, yeah, nation. So, so here's the idea. They're singing this song about what the Lamb has has done. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, back in '98, uh, uh, go ahead and, and read a couple, first couple of verses here of Psalm '98. Actually, go ahead and read verse three. Okay, verse three is Psalm ninety-eight, uh, one through three. I'm sorry. First, well, I meant, yeah, the, yeah, I meant yeah, the first yeah, three yeah. verses. Sorry. Sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy, holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made His salvation known and revealed His righteousness to the nations. He has remembered His love and His faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have been the self have seen. seen the salvation of our God. So. 
And if you look at the other examples, and this would be a good exercise, look at the other examples where this is used in the in the Psalms, look at the other example in Isaiah, you know, what it's really talking about. When we sing to God, uh, what what are we doing, if you would? You're, you're the worship major. What, what do we do when we're worshiping God? We're... I mean, you're extolling his virtue. I mean, okay. exalting him exactly. for, for his works. You're recognizing what he has done. You're recognizing his greatness. And so a new song is celebrating. Here's the way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. It's celebrating a new thing that God has done. So if you notice in all these, like where it talks about this new song here, it's because God has now made his salvation known to the very ends of the earth, right? Mm -hmm. In chapter five, it says, here's the lamb who can now take the scroll. And he has redeemed with his blood, which is going to become an important thing here in just a minute again. In fact, that same phrase uh, of being purchased, and, and we'll come back to that. It says redeemed there, I think, in what you read. But it's, mm -hmm. it's literally, it, it's, it's a word purchase. It's not the word that's normally used for redeemed. Uh, and I think that's important, and, and I'll come to it in just a minute. But but this idea of what what the Lamb has done, it's a new thing that has that has happened. It's it's this new act, new act in God's plan of redemption and, and in response. And it often has to do with salvation. In mm -hmm. Isaiah it has to do with salvation. And in response, God's people sing a new song. Mm -hmm. you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, the cool thing about this one to me is this is a song that's known only to them. And I would say it's 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 an idea that they they have experienced God's salvation. And so they are the ones who can understand. Right. right. Yeah. It, it, if you're cut it, off from that, you can't sing right, that song because right. you don't know it. Yeah. You don't know. You don't. You have not experienced what God has done in Christ. And therefore, how can you sing the song extolling who God is and the great mm -hmm. thing He has done, right? So, so that's how I would understand that in in uh, uh, back in chapter fourteen of the book of Revelation again, chapter fourteen, uh, this new song they sing. I always say position is important, and and if you think about the cosmology, it's that's a fancy word for the way that the whole world is ordered of Revelation. The throne is at the very center of the universe. The throne on which God sits and the Lamb stands. Right, mm -hmm. both mm -hmm. both of those are, are true. Uh, is surrounded then by these four living creatures. It's surrounded by the twenty four elders, and then it's surrounded in turn by these hundred forty four thousand, the great multitude, all of creation, if you will. The throne is at the center, and so it says that they sing this new song before the throne. So the song's being sung to the Lamb and and to the Father in 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 response to this new work. Uh, that he's done. So before the throne, before the four living creatures, before the elders, no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed. Now, again, that's not the normal word for redeemed. That's really, in fact, some of your translations will say purchased. That's what the NIV says. And it says that the same thing in chapter five. It says purchased in chapter five as well. That same word is used in both of those contexts. Mm -hmm. uh, in chapter five, it's clear, and I think it's the same here. Remember that chapter five is where we saw the 144,000 to this new, well, this new song. And then we see this idea of their purchased there. It's, it's, they're clearly purchased with the blood of the lamb who's been slain. Mm -hmm. And so again, I think that's the implication here, although it doesn't say that specifically, they, the, the God's new work of salvation through the lamb, through Jesus 
is now worthy of response of the 144,000 who can sing this new song. You can testify to it. Exactly. That's a, that's a very good way to say it, that they're able to respond to this, to this salvation work. Now, let's get to this difficult part. So, so they're described as purchased from the earth, and, and I keep wanting to talk about earth at sometimes. Earth, the way it's used in Revelation, is often negative. Uh, the, earth is where the, the, the uh, dragon is cast down to. Um, sometimes the enemies of God's people are called those of the earth. That's just the way they're described. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of the idea of they are focused upon the things of earth rather than than upon these heavenly visions that John is seeing. Um, and, and and but 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 there's a redemption of the world of the cosmos. Then there's two words. Gates is the word for um, earth here, and cosmos is the word for the world. And there's a redemption of the world taking place. But another day we'll talk about that. But here it says uh, they were redeemed. They were purchased from the earth, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they were they were taken back from the earth. Now, here, here's the difficult part of this. It says, for they did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. And this has caused lots of people lots of problems. <laughs> I mean, it sounds negative, right? In terms, in terms of this, yeah. uh, and I don't think it should be understood in that way. I think we have to be careful. I mean, mm-hmm. we we don't want to be demeaning to any any uh, you know to a, to a woman or anything right. like that. And I don't think that's the main purpose. Right. Um, so there have I'm going to say in the past there have been those who've taken this again. If you take this literally, it's talking about the idea of, of chastity or uh, not engaging in sexual activity. The interesting thing is. And this, again, is kind of weird for us to, to think about, shouldn't be, but but nowhere else does God exclude the idea of sexual relationship within the marriage, within the context of, of marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's seen as a, as a good redemptive thing. In fact, and we were just, you know, I always joke about this, but we were talking even earlier and I said, well, you know, the first command is be fruitful and multiply. Well, that was last night yeah, when we were yeah. talking, right? God says in the, in the garden, be fruitful and multiply. In fact, he, he, you know, his command to Adam and Eve is fill the earth. I, I want mm-hmm. the earth full of people who reflect to me my image and my glory, you know, uh, the, I, I want them to continue this work of creation with me, uh, in, in a sense, I would say, this this uh, subduing of the chaotic parts of the earth. You know, this is they're, they're going to join me in this. That's that's God's intention for his creation, as we've talked about before. But 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 this idea then nowhere else do we have this idea that that, you know, sex is an evil Again, within the marriage context, mm-hmm. within the proper context of a husband and wife. Um, so I don't think he is. I don't think in this statement he is. He is advocating some kind of uh, uh, what's the? I can't even remember the word I'm looking for, but uh, celibacy is mm-hmm. the word I was looking for. Some kind of celibacy. The way again, some people have suggested um, certain people who have a role within the church should be celibate. This kind of thing in, mm-hmm. in, in various groups. And I'm not going to name any names. But you, you can probably figure out who I'm talking about there. But uh, um, the the um, the way I would understand this again, all, all these other things are kind of figurative. in a figurative sense. What we have, and this goes all the way back to the prophets. Hosea is a perfect example, right? Hosea talks about well, and even the last time we talked about the Book of Revelation, 
you remember what we talked about the last time we talked about the book of Revelation? The horror of Babylon. Right. And we talked about this idea that all the nations had, had defi- defiled, had themselves. defiled themselves by sleeping with this, this harlot, right? Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, this idea of sexual sin for God's people as a whole. And again, remember, that's a hundred, I understand the 144,000 to be God's people as a whole. Mm-hmm. Sexual sin is equivalent to idolatry. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's laying down with the false gods, or, or, or in this case, laying down with the powers of the earth that that you're looking to for favors uh, in, in order to help you. Now, <laughs> dare I do this? You know, Hosea uses this imagery very strongly. Um, you know, basically, God says to Hosea, "Go take a prostitute for a wife, bear children out of her unfaithfulness." Basically. Mm-hmm. And, and then, um, after she is taken away into sexual slavery from you, you are to go and purchase her back out of sexual slavery. And this becomes a living illustration in Hosea uh, of the way that God's, God responds to his people, even though they sell themselves into sex, <laughs> right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Into, these, into these relationships with these false gods and these other nations, God's love for them is such that he brings them back and he takes his children as their children, right? Loami and uh, Lo Ruhumah become Ami and, and Ruhumah, my, my people and my mercy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so we find him bringing them back. The book of Ezekiel, in very <laughs> pretty graphic, very graphic terms, talks about when God's people choose to ally themselves with the Egyptians and their gods. He uses language that will make some people blush. I, I, I always love it when somebody says, "Oh, I've read through the whole Bible several times," and I'll always say, "Oh, do you might remember this passage?" and I'll and I'll quote it for him, which I'm not going to do today yeah. on the podcast, so you don't have to you don't have to to, to pause or anything. And they're like, "That's not in there." It's like, yeah, yeah, it is. It's the twenty third chapter. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, Ezekiel Ezekiel twenty three uses this imagery. Um, in uh, earlier in Ezekiel, we find this image of a child that's unwanted that God takes and raises and then marries. So that you know, God's people, God, the Father is seen as the husband of His people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and this relationship that they have when they worship other gods, li- literally in terms of idolatry in the Old Testament, we see it. Uh, literally, when they worship these other gods, they are unfaithful to to the to the Creator God, and and, and so that's the way it's described. It's described as sexual sin. Mm-hmm. Right? So what I understand this to be is the opposite of what we see with the the whore of Babylon. Mm-hmm. You know, there the nations have defiled themselves, and, and you know, talks about the abominations of their of their idol- adulteries. Mm-hmm. This is the opposite. These this is those who have kept themselves pure and undefiled from their relationships with Rome and, and the gods, mm-hmm. the, the idols that, that they're called to worship in order to participate in the systems of its day. Okay? Right. Yeah. Now, <laughs> it, it, just, just to make sure that we don't just to make sure that we see that this still applies to us today. Anytime I talk about idolatry, I always feel like people go, Phew, you know, this isn't what I need to worry about. I'm, I don't have little statues yeah. of people in my house. Right, right. Um, I, I think idolatry, uh, well, I'll quote a couple of people I don't normally quote, but, uh, you know, 
Calvin talks about the fact that our hearts are idol-making factories, right? In, mm-hmm. in a sense, we, we continually make these idols. Um, uh, Tim Keller wrote a fantastic book uh, about this idea of idolatry and, and basically money, sex, and power You know, in our culture have become for us idols, so an idol, and if you think of this is not unimportant to God. If you think of the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. the first couple of them deal with this, that first of all, you should have no other gods before me. Right. Right. And, and the second one is that you should not make to me any graven image. Any, you shouldn't make any carved icon or image to me. And so this idea, of, you know, how do we make idols? I think it's when we put other things ahead of our allegiance to God, okay? And I think it's something we need to think about in our culture and and that we often do. Uh, As I've said before, often even good things, if we make them the main thing ahead of God, they become for us idols. Mm -hmm. They become for us things that tear us apart from God. We are unfaithful, right? We, Mm -hmm. we, we We are defiled when we use these things as substitutes for our allegiance to God. Uh, so I think our work, um, you know, you know, our uh, e- even our um, families sometimes, if we place them ahead of God, can can come that. Uh, I think we have to be careful in regard to our allegiance to our nation, whatever nation we are in. If it becomes primary before our allegiance to God, then it mm-hmm. has become idolatry. Um, I don't know. What do you want to list? <laughs> All the things. <laughs> All the things. Mater- well, materialism. Yeah, right. Um, status. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, comfort can can become for us this. If if God's calling us to do something that's uncomfortable and we choose comfort instead, we've put that ahead as an right. idol. We've made that as the, the, yeah. the primary objective. I think that's, you know, I think Paul talks about, like, we kind of have to always be examining our lives, yeah. you know, working on our salvation. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think it's, and I think that's the hard thing. It's easy for us to... Um, sit sit back or you know right you know i think that's um i think that's their great challenge yeah of of where where we are positionally in the world and what's happening for probably most of the people that are listening to us um that's to to sit back and not examine our lives and i think you know it's it can't be always navel gazing and just always looking at yourself but it's examining the things that we've placed importance in our life and then also not to say that they aren't important but what's the order of their importance right. in our lives? You know, you mentioned Paul. Paul calls greed idolatry two different places. You know, this idea of a pursuit of money or love, the, the of, love money, of money, right, becomes becomes a, an idol for us in some in some ways. I, I'll say this. You know, I, I've said before that that we can tell where we place our allegiance sometimes in two ways: looking at our calendars and at our at our bank, our bank statements or checkbooks. For those um, who know who the checkbook is, yeah, still, I was going to say. What's a check? But anyway, but but yeah, where do where, where do our finances go? Where where does our time go? You, you know, you could add. I don't know how you check this, but where's your energy? You know, where are you placing mm-hmm. your energy? And and we make choices all the time, don't we? In terms of oh, yeah. are, are we going to you know do the things that follow God? And, and this is the interesting thing. Then immediately, what's followed up with this? So again, I, I don't see this as. You know, women are somehow. Well, I need to be the, the careful women. here, but they're not, they're not unclean, and then they're not. Yeah, I, I think this is this is the equivalent to what we see with the harlot and those who have laid down in her bed of adultery, and this is saying these are those who remain pure from that. They have they have not 
um, committed adultery with the things of this world, but they have then the next statement says they follow the lamb wherever he goes. And I find that just an interesting statement. You know, we talk about being Jesus followers or Christ followers sometimes follow wherever he goes. And, you know, some of the places that the lamb has gone, remember this is the lamb that was slain is <laughs> right. now standing, um, you know, that they're willing to follow in that way. And, and the image here can be, because even the next statement says they were they were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and to the lamb. Uh, this idea of an offering or sacrifice of the first fruits could have the image of martyrdom Along with it, mm. um, but um, you know, I think even even if we don't go to that extent, the idea of that they are willing to sacrifice whatever's necessary, kind of like the image of living sacrifices, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're willing to give up whatever is necessary in order to follow the Lamb where where He calls them to go. And sometimes that requires sacrifice. Sometimes that requires us giving up the things that that we might hold to be dear or or that might seem important to us. So here's the end, end then. Verse 5 says, no lie was found in their mouths. Lying is a big deal in Revelation. Uh, liars are listed among things like sorcerers and, and all mm-hmm. these things that we think, oh, that's bad. And then liars, and we're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, same, is that right? Is yeah, that right, John? Same as, same as disobedient to, to parents and that kind of thing. But, but you know, there, I, I've, I've said before, there, there's a way we can understand the entire history of the people of God as a battle between truth and lies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jesus says to, to Pilate when he says, what is truth? You know, before he says, what is truth? He says, all those who are on the side, of, you know, I've come for all those who are on the side of truth. Um, there, there's a way which, uh, you know, Jesus says that one who was a liar from the beginning. Uh, so if you go back and think about the fall, it begins with a lie. The father of lies is what in First John um, the serpent is called, the one who has from the very beginning, um, you know, brought falsehood. God is truth. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's what the Bible teaches us. Jesus is the truth. And so there's a way in which we can understand this whole thing as truth and falsehood. And that's why it becomes for us. If we're going to be followers, if we're going to follow the lamb wherever he goes, we have to be people who are absolutely committed to truth. Now, <laughs> people are going to hear that in different ways. Mm-hmm. But but I want to be very, very blunt and say that when we misrepresent things or when we um, are unwilling to uh, give the best representation of things that we, even when we're unwilling to say, I don't know, hmm. right? Then then my question is, have we made ourselves untrustworthy when it comes to things like the gospel and, and truth about the kingdom? Falsehood is a huge deal. And, and here, these that are described as the 144,000 identified with God, purchased from the earth, uh, these are the ones purchased for mankind. These are the ones who who no lie can be found in their mouth. Um, very important, very uh, very crucial uh, I- image. And then finally, it says they are blameless. Uh, this word blameless is actually used eight times or so in the New Testament. Paul uses it several times. It's interesting the way we often find it used. Um, uh, I, I have a couple of examples here. Ephesians, I'll let you look up Ephesians 1.5. Um, I forgot to tell you to look those up. I apologize. Nor- normally, I, I tell you everything we're going to do in these. You know. <laughs> yep. <that's> the, <laughs> you know, we just talked I'm about sorry. truth. Yeah, that was a lie. <laughs> I, I, I need to apologize for that. Uh, Galatians 1.5? Uh, no, Ephesians. Oh, 
That's all right. I've got Philippians here. Let me read this. Okay, okay you got it. You got it. Ephesians, Ephesians one five. Yeah. Uh, and love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Is that what it says? That's what Ephesians one five says. Uh, hold on. I apologize. Uh oh. Uh, oh, four. Try four. For he chose us in him. And you go back to our Ephesians. If you want to understand what this means, go back to our Ephesians passage but uh, or our series. For he chose him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in love, he predestined us for adoption of sonship through Jesus Christ. Uh, Philippians says this. Um, let's see if I can find it here. I had it just a minute ago. Philippians 2.15, uh, actually start 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless. There's that word, blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. So this idea of being, you know, it's often this idea that we're called to this. We're called to live a blameless life. Uh, finally, Jude 24, I thought this would be an interesting one. To him who is able, this is the conclusion, to, the, the concluding uh, section of Jude, the book of Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault. There's that idea That's of blameless. blameless. Yeah. Without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior. So, so the idea is that God is the one who is able to present these 144,000, these people of God, as blameless in his sight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of his purpose for us and his goal. What he's done in Christ allows us to be blameless. Um, as followers of, uh, of Jesus, we, be, you know, we, we follow this one who has presented us blameless, and we are called to present ourselves as blameless as well. So the eight times usually... Uh, when it's referred to, and the Hebrews uses it once, um, Jude, First Peter uses it. First Peter is actually a reference to Jesus as the one uh, before the creation world who's blameless, uh, but but it usually has this idea that we're being presented as right, blameless. Right, not that, uh, Yeah, so I just want to clarify sure. this. So with, it's not these aren't blameless after they've been redeemed. It's right. it's. They're still. They can still be a sinner, but like it's. It's the new song. It's what the, the new work that God has done in Christ mm-hmm. that allows them to have the status of standing in His presence without blame. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that's important for people yeah, to think absolutely. like where it's this. Yeah. You know, our our personal piety that we sure. we achieve this nope. status, and it's not nope. that. It's the new song. Exactly. It's what God. The new work that God has done in Christ is the way I would I would say it in this context, just to kind of explain yeah. that. So. This is good. You know, I I always find Revelation, yeah. you know, very interesting, and mm-hmm. um, I you know, we talked about this last season. We talked a couple things, and I really dug into it, and you know, I think. I, for me, it has become one of the most important books yeah. I think that we can be reading. That's that's the interesting thing for me is 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 that so many people will come to Revelation and they're like, I can't understand it. I'm afraid of it. Even mm, sometimes you'll right. hear. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just again having it, and that's why I like to talk about it because I think having this approach, there's some important messages here, and it and it hits us exactly where we live. Mm, right. Yes. It, it's really about living. In the among the kingdoms of this world and the powers and the principalities of this world, you know, kind of things Paul talks about that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but it 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 fleshes that out, so to speak. It gives us a bigger image of what that looks like. When we understand in the context of the first century, then we see how the application remains. Um, you know, even though we are no, no longer under the Roman Empire, the same kind of pressures and the same kind of um, calls for us to 
be unfaithful to God. Uh, again, using that term very intentionally, being unfaithful to God in in our allegiance to other things and other powers and other other, other um, uh, whatever corporations, as I said, whatever mm-hmm. um, that 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 call remains. Uh, as we've said about Revelation before, and as you know, uh, Bob Lowry, who's now gone on to um, uh, his his eternal reward, um, you know, uh, Bob talks about the book of Revelation as a discipleship manual. Here, It's how mm-hmm. we live in the present world. It's not talking about a timeline of the future world. Uh, and so I think when we understand that context, like you said, it's super important. Yeah, I was thinking about Revelation the other day, and you know, we in the last the episode we done Revelation on the Whore of Babylon. I mentioned that Amos, as I've been reading through the Bible, yeah. like some of the languages, like it's this sure. mirror. And you know, I always I was thinking about this the other day is like, how would you wrap up a book like the Bible? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what's the yeah. last? What's the last? <laughs> thing? Like, what do you do? You know, you have right. all this imagery of the Old Testament, and like for me, as I think about Revelation now, like where I, I previously had found it so daunting and so forth, but kind of hmm. going. This is the perfect conclusion. Yeah, you know, it's that's well said. You yeah. know, like for me, it's I think about uh, I used to watch Lost. You know, yeah, I sure. loved Lost, <laughs> and you got to the last episode, yeah, yeah. and it's like, and and the real thing is, it's like, how do you wrap up this show? Yeah, yeah, it's got so many threads, so many, so many threads, themes. right? Um, and I watched it, and I loved it. Yeah, but I was one of the few that loved the conclusion. The conclusion. But, but there were there weren't not everything was answered. But kind of yeah. going like, if we think of scripture is a story sure. of god revealing himself like how do you wrap right. up this grand narrative and for me now as i read revelation and the importance of it like it helps me understand so yeah. much more looking Absolutely. back on that and like kind of going this is the perfect conclusion yeah. to this it's it, very well so I'd, I'd never thought of that before right in in those terms but you're right i mean the, we've talked before about how much old testament language there is and so yeah in a way it does kind of wrap these together and bring them together we've talked before about the tree like the the tree of life and mm-hmm. in in, in, in uh, the garden and the tree of life at the end and mm-hmm. you know there are some of those things that, that come back but even as you're mentioning these other things that that you know the new song that has this this refrain in the old testament and now here's the new song and the the people of god are singing this new song because they recognize what god has done and yeah, yeah. I, you know i think about hebrews like hebrews is that first anchor you know i mean like sure the gospels have an anchor point to the old testament and then hebrews yeah. is like this other like here's jesus and the high priest and you have right. revelation kind of going we're sweeping it all right we're bringing it together we're bringing it all together and so that's well said that's yeah. that's uh you know i i, I just love that as we're going through this and I hope this is helpful for others out there because again I think this is I think the book of Revelation you've talked about like take it a section at a time Um, but I think it is for me I'm just reflecting on myself like one of the most important books I think that we as Christians that are seeking to understand the life and times that we live in that it is uh, as fruitful and a guide for us yeah you know I always say if uh, you know you're in trouble when you start explaining the rest of the Bible by the book Revelation (laughs) but it it does in a way oh my gosh you know as we've talked about when you're have the perspective of after the the after the event and you look forward it 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 helps explain what has come before it so yeah, yeah excellent well said excellent well thanks brian yeah i appreciate Thank it you. we've you know we've had two episodes now about virgin talk <laughs> <laughs> the next one won't be hmm. <laughs> 
what else could we? No, I think we're done. We're done with that <laughs> for a while. Now, so not not until uh, Christmas time. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Brian, thanks so much. Yeah. And again, if you've enjoyed this episode and yeah. you're listening to us, please share. Yeah, uh, we'd love to for other people to to join uh, on the journey. We yeah, hope- join us in the conversation. Let us know what you want to hear about. What you want? I talk- know Facebook is kind of weird. Yeah. No one wants. No one wants to be on we're Facebook on, we're anymore. On Insta though, right? Oh, Insta. Yeah, everybody's on Whatever Insta. That is. You can make a reel. And yeah, it- maybe we need to make some reels. We're gonna make a reel of Brian no, dancing. No, <laughs> no, or me or karaoke. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That'd be something. <laughs> anyway, so no, but or send us an email. There's a yeah. button up there. I get a lot of spam on that email, but oh, I you? don't get a lot of emails from people that, you know, so we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And uh, we do have a newsletter that we are going to put something out on. We've had several people sign up. And oh, good. I've been negligent. Yeah. So, but we've just, uh, if you go back and listen to Ephesians, we had 13 episodes on that. Yeah. And we've had uh, last week's. And so we're, we're thankful that you're listening with us. And yeah. we hope that you will join us uh, next Tuesday. Yeah. Good to see you. Good to be here with you today, Ryan. Yeah. You too, Brian. Bye. See ya. Bye.